Hey, I'm Dina. I'm Nikki. And we're your hosts for CBD Magcast. CBD Magcast is devoted to the legalization of cannabis and its impact in your community. Cannabis Concierge, the expert and discreet service of cannabis procurement for the individual or retailer. These buds are for you. CBD Magcast Civics brings you Perilous Production with respect to the flower. Then when medical happened, I had some friends that grew, and I was in charge of all their sales because they were really, you know, introverted grow guys, kind of like my grow guys here, you know, not really outgoing. And so they didn't know how to sell their product or approach faces. They weren't used to selling to just people in a sales method. They had their friends that they've known for 15, 20 years go to their house and buy an ounce or buy a pound from them or whatever it is. My friends in medical that were growing weed then that had their medical licenses and were growing their 15 plants per person that they had in their house, we'd put it, we'd harvest everything, we'd put it in quarter pound jars and I would just roll around to medical stores with quarter pound jars, stick your nose in it. Do you like this? Do you like this? If they liked it, they would buy it and most of the time they did and in one day I'd have a whole trunk full of quarter pound jars and just draw it from medical shop to medical shop and just sell it all in one day then when 502 happened and my folks got their license yeah I mean, I love that idea that you had those that in your car and just at the end of the day, you didn't have it in your car anymore. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's just great. You know what I'm saying? I wish I could do that now. Exactly. Wouldn't that change everything? Yeah. Yeah, So now I got to manifest up eight grams of samples. Yeah. And, uh, you know, follow the manifest timeline and the roots that they give us. And the, the samples just get thrown on the stack of other samples, you know what I mean? And you're sitting on, you know, 50 bags of samples that got dropped off over the course of the last month or whatever. And, and so, if you don't keep that up, how much yeah. money does it cost? I mean, if you're looking at having to offer out a half a gram to a gram every time that you've got a sample going out, you have to account for having no sales for two or three stores almost just to get enough samples out. Oh for yeah, you to so, hit all those yeah, and we don't even measure that, you know. So no, just like but it's a grand scale of things, but it does cost a lot. Like yeah. I'm sure if I went back, it would probably take my breath away if I looked back and just looked at all the samples that have been manifested. Granted, there's what is there? There's probably we have 415 licenses in Washington State for retail. Probably actually like 370 of those are actually like active working stores, and that's the other big challenge. And so you have, and you can only you know sample them once a month, eight grams once a month, but you have. 1,200 producer processors in Washington State, 370 retail stores. They put a cap on them so there's no more retail stores. So the market is oversaturated on our end. Did they cap Big the time. producer processors? They yes. have now. No. Oh. Okay. They have now, yeah. They're not giving out any new licenses now. But there's still licenses that were pending that yes. are getting issued now. Oh, and they're putting yeah. those forward. And so I think it's around 13 or 1400 is what it's going to be. And so you have, but right now you have 1100, 1200 producer processors all trying to get into the same 350 stores. And it's like. But they're opening up the number of licenses for the people who already have stores. For like franchise. Yeah, so it used to be you could only have three, now you can have five. I bet they don't. More than that, isn't it? So, like, Butthut has nine locations. But they're not all the same owner. And I know they just opened up a Have a Heart in Maui. Or not Maui, Kauai, excuse me. Yes, yes, I saw something about that. Yeah, and it's the only store on Kauai. There's one, they gave out one license on the entire island. (laughs) And And Have a Heart has it. They're going to make a killing. Well, Have a Heart is designed for Maui, or for Kauai and Hawaii altogether. It's medical, yeah. Yeah, I don't. a doctor's office attached to it. Yeah, yeah, and that's like their core of everything. So I think that that makes good sense that they got it, but wow. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, so what it's come down to with the producer processors is there are a handful that are making a decent amount of money. 
several that are kind of making a little bit of money and kind of just breaking even, which is where we're at right now. It's come down to who can keep their head above water the longest yes. because there are producer processors that are failing every day. And as a part of that, they are in desperate situations and in desperate mode and they're driving the prices down because just to pay their bills, you know, when a store offers them, hey, we'll put in a $30,000 order, but you, we want it for $1.50 a gram or whatever it is, you know, do they walk away from that $30,000? Even though they're losing money, right? Their store is gonna close down, they gotta pay the utility bill, they gotta make payroll. So they go ahead and accept that $30,000 order, taking a loss on their product for $1.50 a gram, right. drive their price down. Now they've degraded their price and they can never sell it for more than that right. to Main Street Marijuana or Carpenter 420 or whoever puts in those big orders and drives the prices down. Drive the whole market down is what happens essentially. So, yeah. and I get it, it's business as well, but it also drives the farm down. Like I could, t I'm not gonna say any names, but I know farms that have an individual store or a, a pair of stores have single-handedly driven their price down permanently in conjunction. Because. It's a trap and you're not going to get out of it. You're not. Yeah. So, and once you degrade your price, you're not going to get out of it either. And, and everybody I mean, knows because everything is available to be seen right all over I-502. Our wholesale price, if you, if we had known then when we got the license that we'd be selling it at that price now, we would have gotten in this business. Not as a tier three producer processor, at least. But then, you know, once again, outdoor harvest started happening, a bunch of other mitigating factors that drove the price down. People started getting really desperate, started getting competitive. They but we started. don't see them out there. We see you out there. You have mm -hmm. a very stronghold in the marketplace. If you're in a store, you're predominantly in a store, and you're in a lot of stores. I, I, I found you somewhere else where you had Fruity Pebble, and I'm like, oh my gosh, off the hook. Then I went to Kush 21, and they only had the shake. But then I was up at, I think, Always Greener and picked up Thai. Oh, yeah. In a pre-roll. Now, I hadn't seen your tie. I hadn't had Here your tie. Here in Redmond? Right? In Redmond. Yes, yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah. it was just kind of fun, too, yeah. that there were slightly different options in these other stores mm -hmm. from when I tried the original one. And just feeling growth through that is exciting for yeah, me. Yeah, we've let people choose what they want to carry. We've set a new standard now. You have to carry at least three of our strains of flour. You can't order just one strain. Because what was happening is people were buying up like all of our Fruity Pebbles or all of our Thai and we didn't have available for other people. Now if you want to carry Fruity Pebbles or Thai, you got to carry at least two other strains is what we said. Because we've noticed also we're not successful when you have just one strain on the shelf. You have to have a little bit of a presence. You have to have a little bit, you know, have, take up some shelf space to be successful. Also, you know, for name recognition, so your, the bud tenders recognize it as well. But yeah, we've done a really good job of branding ourselves and getting yes, the name have. recognition. Packaging is really unique. But people, when they buy our packaging, they remember it. And when we sample people, they remember it. So we've been successful there, and we've gotten really good at offering the consistency, like I said, of the products. And I like the idea that you almost feel like you came out of nowhere. That's super fun for me. I, I liked that I just saw you burst out on, and I also like that you're offering a day tour as well. You have a good quality sativa, a lot of farm stone. You have a really good selection of hybrids and a really nice selection of indicas. Mm -hmm. So you also offer native strains and then interesting ones that are combinations of a whole bunch of genetics. Yes. So there's mm -hmm. just a really fun, thoughtful range uh, and like you're really sharing with us, just a lot of thought into everything. And that's what it comes down to. And also what the bud tenders want to give to the consumers because they're the ones that are really moving the product and they're driving it. And you have to be in good with the bud tenders if you want your product to move, <laughs> which I've learned. It's very true. seldom is, it's not like alcohol where people are brand loyal or cigarettes for that matter. If you're a, a Marlboro Red smoker, that's what you smoke. And when you go to the store, you're going to ask for Marlboro Reds every time. With cannabis, it's different. They'll come in and just ask for an Indica. 
the bud tender is going to grab two or three indicas off the shelf that they like within the price point that the customers are interested in and present that and we need to make sure that they're grabbing our indica off the shelf when they're doing that and so and it's different like i'll ask nikki you know like in sales have slowed down at emerald leaves right what do i need to do to make sales more successful is it you know doing a vendor day is it sampling the bud tenders what is it why is well, the what is it, you know, Nikki? yes what is it yes so what do you think is the biggest factor on the retail level of, of keeping it's, your sales up it's bud tender education and okay. and it's having the bud tender in your corner 100 mm-hmm. percent. that's how you get into a store it's great if you can build a good relationship with the buyer but having a good relationship with the bud tenders who get in the ears of the buyer is the key in mm-hmm. my opinion even if i love a product as our edibles buyer if i don't have at least two bud tenders in my corner i'm not gonna buy it so it's not it's not up to me as the buyer it's up to my bud tenders to help me because they sell the product i don't sell the product anymore like i did two years ago i don't see what's being well received by the consumers the market, yeah. yeah yeah like i used to mm-hmm. so, so let's say it's a me or a ryan and we're really in there we're stopping by all the time and we're in this balance of trying not to bother you but also trying to be there and in your face a little bit so you mm-hmm. do remember us but you're not the guy who pulls the trigger we're getting to talk to the bud tender or we're getting to talk to the buyer but a lot of times as that salesperson you're not getting a chance to talk to both and you almost feel like there's a wall to get to the right person to get that product in their hands to get that feedback to hear is there for you specifically Nikki do you find it okay that salespeople come in and ask those questions of the bud tenders do you rather have them call it's such a different thing than when I was doing it as a salesperson for like uh, dog food versus a salesperson for just other industries and types of things is it uh, For you guys, like a free-flowing, a little more free-flowing, you just kind of deal with them when they come in? Uh, Yes and no. I mean, like, I know if a grower worked with a certain bud tender when they came in, I know whether or not the information's going to be communicated adequately to me. But if I don't really know that grower, I don't really care who talks to them. You know, it's not, I'm not really super fussed about it because just like Ryan said, there's 1,200 growers on the market. I just had somebody the other day who's got really good cannabis. He wants to get into our store. Are we accepting new growers? We're always accepting new growers and we're always accepting samples, but my flower buyer is overwhelmed right now with samples. Yeah, how you do you know, like that's all it is. You know, that's all it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's all yeah. about timing. If you bring samples, and I told him, I was like, you could bring samples next week. But if we're not gonna, if we're not ready to bring in a new grower for another month, even if your samples are great, they're gonna be forgotten about by the time we're ready. To and buy the culture a and the social situation at each store is a little bit different. So like I'll walk into a store maybe just on a cold walk-in or whatever with some samples, maybe maybe not with some samples. And but I'll talk to a bud tender. I always ask questions about the store. Like right. what are your top three selling farms? I always like to know that. Yep. At this price point, where will you have us priced at? And at that price point, who am I up against? Right. How well do they do in your store? Yada yada yada. But as far as the culture of the employees at that store, right? If it's someone I'm talking to, and maybe they are just a bud tender, but they've been at that store for three years, I can make a safe assumption, right? They probably have a certain level of respect around that store. Definitely. And if they're really confident about a product, you know what I mean? Or they're like, oh, this looks awesome and they're stellar and the bud tender's excited about it, the buyer might be excited about it as well. Totally. That's because the, the bud tender's liked, the one yeah. selling it. So if you got like four or five bud tenders that are the ones selling all your product, they're like, yeah, we need to get this strain in here. Why would you not bring that in there? That's and so key. you do want to sell the bud tenders. You know, you know, obviously the purchaser or the buyer, you know, makes the final decision and works with budgets and whatever else they're working with. 
but bottom line, you have to have the butt tenders behind it, which is why you guys sample the butt tenders, right? Exactly. So the yeah. samples go to the exactly. butt tenders and you get feedback back from them. Yeah, and that's the so. key that you brought up that I think not enough producer processors have the wherewithal or interest in maybe seeing is what is going for in their price in their price range in their price point like mm-hmm. I have that's probably the the biggest conversation I have with producer processors who are like why isn't my product doing that well I'm like well this is who it's up against in mm-hmm. your price point and for whatever reason this is selling astronomically better than than this that happens a lot with oils for me more than anything is because that's another that. one that that honestly the price i know people that are selling 10 dollar grams of oil that's crazy i can't even I don't even want to imagine what that looks like yeah, in retail. Yeah, there's yeah, like retail $10. Pricing. And yeah, and that's where it should be. Yeah. And That's the most the saturated market right like, now is the, the concentrate market. Yeah, yeah. My, my $20 grams outshine so many, so, so much right now. And it's not because they should go for $20, but it's mm-hmm. that race to the bottom that we're talking about. And that's, again, what I think a lot of times I'm educating more and more producer processors on too. You know, not everybody knows, especially those coming into the market right now, how low the cost is to really try to to get your new product into a store. To gain brand recognition at a $12 a gram and $40 an eighth price point as a new grower is is a tough feat right now, mm-hmm. I would tough say. Feet Interesting with me for Dynamic Harvest is I first tried your product when I I remember Dairy Queen was on the list of was this options. so was this at Emerald Leaves yeah like three years ago yeah that's this like, is yeah, like uh, way so, at the yeah. beginning mm-hmm. that's when I, that's when yeah. I first started working there mm-hmm. and then y'all kind of disappeared from our store for a little while and then but then when you came back I was the only person who recognized your packaging, but I was like, I was like, no, this. I, you and I, Thomas. I, I, I was like, no, we had this. I, we had this. It was, it was good. It was, you know, and and. So what and, happened was we had some setbacks. We had to destroy our entire everything we had back there. We had to destroy an entire crop. Wow. Of everything because of an infestation, which is why we're extra careful now. Totally. Uh, but at the same time, a heat wave hit, and our HVAC system went out, and they couldn't oh come out to repair goodness. it. So it was over 100 degrees back there, and it fried everything. Yep. Destroyed everything. Wow. So that so when we had that setback, right, now we're starting from scratch, paying utilities, paying payroll, and all that stuff. Still. And we're not going to have anything available to sell to a store for, we streamlined it at that point. It was like four and a half to five months. And it was, you know, but four yeah. and a half to five months yeah. is a long time in Very this industry. Time. That's years. Oh, but yeah, yeah. It, it almost, it almost, it almost shut us down. Day. We almost yeah. decided, like, we had to weigh out the options. Like, is it totally. worth us even staying open? Is it, or do we just take a loss, shut our doors, and call it quits? I and mean, we stayed open and we persevered. That was the the biggest setback we had. That's why we weren't in your store anymore, though, because we had to pull out and okay. we had some people that were like closer that we had longer relationships totally. with that we had to, you know, to deal with. And yeah. so three years ago, two and a half, three years ago, something as small as yeah, like our HVAC going out for a few days during a heat wave would set us back. But if that were to happen right now, it could happen. And it's just, it happened it, with yeah. the producer processor I work for. That's what it says about your brand and your and your company, though, I think, is that like you you were well-established so fast that, that having a setback like that, you were still mm-hmm. able to come back to the market, be recognized, and have an opportunity to sell really good product again. So. Yeah, and I mean that's and I think like a lot of stores, that's the customer service aspect of it is they really like working with us yeah. because we're willing to work with people in any aspect. And part of that too is offering the diversity and price points on our menu as well. Maybe as we were talking earlier, I'm going up against you know six other brands at the same price point as us. 
So maybe we shouldn't sell our, our product at that price point in your store. Maybe we should just bring in the minis hypothetically, you know what I mean, which it offers at a lower price point. It's hand trimmed just the same, smaller buds. They're getting the same quality of product as the A flower, but at a better price point, it just doesn't look as chunky in the bag. And that's somewhere where maybe we can fit in. Yeah. But I think to succeed as a producer processor, you have to have a diversity in your menu. Because maybe right now you're filling a niche or a gap that no one else is in a bunch of your stores, but that could change in a matter of, in a month as people expand their menus or new products come out there. And or the concentrates, you gain your that's what, clientele because of yeah. the products that you have in there. And that's why I think like the concentrate market is so oversaturated. And it seems like every week I hear of like some new concentrate. And it's like, like what is the difference between a wax and a shatter and a crumble and a, and a comb? And a butter. And like the di differences are so minuscule and I yeah. can't even keep up with them it's anymore. It's all level so, of processes. What I learned in, from when yeah. I worked as a bud tender it was like, well, yeah. since it didn't turn out how we thought, we'll just call it this and we yeah. can still put it out. And I explained yeah. that to And we're the only ones <laughs> with this. You know, yeah. you can yeah. make it up. At, it's a, it's an ice crystal. You yeah, know, that's like what something we that, we're the only ones with the ice crystals in Washington or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, yes. yeah. Yep, it's crazy. The industry has moved so fast. But what's cool is, again, you guys have gone through so many things and really not had to change a whole lot, it seems like, so. Yep. Yeah, things are going good for us right now. We're now expanding out to Eastern Washington. I feel Western Washington is really saturated. I feel for the most part, whoever's doing business with us, with us right now in Western Washington is going to be, it's hard to get into any new stores right now in Western Washington. But Eastern Washington, we're a new face out there. Yeah. So I went out to Spokane and I brought our samples out there and we stick out, we look kind of unique with our colorful packaging and everything. Everything was really well received out there. Nice. And I was just telling people, you know, I was like, we're from Western Washington. No one out here is carrying us right now. And that gets them really excited. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. First in store, right? Yep, I like that key. idea. Tacoma has a lot of stores, mm -hmm. but it seems like for the most part, everyone there is doing really well. Mm -hmm. Even though it's pretty saturated, yep. it's a huge cannabis market and people are doing well. I mean. Do you think that there's room for new licenses in Washington State? If they that, remove the cap on retail licenses, that's a do good, you think that that's that would a good be... Question. I, obviously, it wouldn't be in your best interest as a store because it would create competition right. and stuff, but do you feel like there is room for it? See, I feel like there's room for it, but there's not room for it in Tacoma, and there's okay. probably not room for it in Seattle. Like, I mm -hmm. think that there are, there are probably a lot of towns that still only have one cannabis shop that could use a second one that would do... Because I... Dina has used the analogy before gas stations on one corner brings in more revenue than one gas station as far as for the town, the taxes, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think that there is room for for more retail stores, but there are there are oversaturated pockets mm -hmm. of you and that's know, the and problem. that's what's hard because yeah. that's where that's how retail stores decide to undercut the market. And that's because of the zoning know? issues. Yeah. When you put yes. your like, zoning requirements right, yeah. you can only have the stores in this one little location of a town, right. and, and then, then you have three or four stores within other. a block of each other. Yeah, Which is ridiculous. Just, yeah. 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 And it doesn't help out your community, I don't think in the least bit, to zone it so that all of your quote-unquote pot is in one spot, but yet you've got a bar next to a playground. It's just infuriating to mm -hmm. me. Yeah, I'd really like to see people who know what they're doing in Washington and in Colorado start really taking steps to go into these new legal states because that's where I think the revenue is to be made and that's where I think these people need help and that's where real change is going to happen in this country with the industry too. I'd like to see state by state we come on and all of these states now have their own economy moving mm -hmm. and the only way that that's going to happen is if every state is 
relatively successful. Certainly, and it's only a matter of time before it goes federal. Right. They're going to leave it up to the states, but it's going to go legally federally where they can cross state lines. Right. Um, once that does, that'll be just a humongous shift in the industry. That will change and, uh, everything. That's, that's going to change. Yeah. The, well, yes, because it just consolidates. Oh no, it's already, and it's, already get, it's already in the works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, a done deal. Anheuser Busch yep. and Philip yeah, exactly. Morris, right? They're yep. already buying land in Washington State and yep. California and all these places. So that they can. They're grow. already getting it ready, and they already have the infrastructure. That's right. You know, yeah. tobacco is a dying industry. Bottom line, like you know, it's not cool to smoke anymore as a teenager, yep. and that whole industry is dying. But they have the infrastructure, they have the fields and the factories and the delivery networks yep. to produce and distribute marijuana at a very high scale. Yeah. And so, and, and then the money too, a plethora, you know, the, the billions of dollars go in and buy everybody out or knock everybody out. Yeah, Washington State, obviously, the reason you can't sell outside the state or whatever is because they want to keep all the tax dollars in the state, and they're doing that. And, and so they practice. might they might ban any outside marijuana from coming in the state because they want to keep everything in house. Right. If they can do that, they may or may not be able to. Well, that's a Once good again, concept. you know, the, the lobbyists and the, you know, yeah, the multi-billion dollar corporations, though, that want to take over this industry, they might grease the right politicians' hands to where they right. lift those, you know, restrictions or vents. Who knows what's going Just like with alcohol or beer, right? You have your Amheuser-Busch and your Budweiser drinkers, right? I wouldn't drink Budweiser. True. So, but yeah. Like, yeah you so know, it's, it's up to you, you to still have, sell. You still have local brews, though. You still yeah. have, you know, small wineries. Yeah. You know what I mean? But we're in this as a Lungs business. You know, so I'll still, you know, grow cannabis, you know what I mean? Like as a hobby, always take my pride in the product. But when they come in and, yeah, write a pretty check for a decent amount of money and want to buy the brand, you know, in the name of business, you know, you're going to do that. Yeah. There will still be, like I went to a small distillery out in Hoodsport the other day and they can taste everything there and they produce all their own vodka, whiskey, Yeah, but I can't get that at 9 o'clock so at night when I want to shoot down the hill in my can't. pajamas. I'm just saying. Yeah, that's the convenient buy. Exactly, yeah. So you can't get that. Don't take so away you all go my convenience the and yeah, so my quality. We're right. trying to get a good foothold, so we don't necessarily want to sell. We no, no, but be while, so viable for Something it, right? to do, so yeah. 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 And I'd be eager to see in the states now, Colorado, Washington, that have legalized recreational, the change, I'm, I'm sure there's a significant change in the amount of liquor and beer sales that have taken place. Oh, that would be Because people are spending their money when they, totally. go, when they go to the beach, you're right? They're going right. and they're buying, you're spending $40 on an eighth of weed, right? Yeah. getting a 12 pack as opposed to spending that extra $40 on more beer and more liquor. Yeah, exactly. You know, that you would get when you go to the beach with your friends to party or whatever. Yeah, and so a lot so of, because, because don't get it wrong, Amheuser-Busch is not in the business of brewing beer. They're in the business of getting people inebriated. Right. That's what they do. And that ine those inebriation dollars, right, are now going towards marijuana and not towards beer in Washington State and Colorado. That's why they want their hands in it. Yep. They are scared because if it gets legal on a federal level and they don't have their hands in it, they're in big trouble. My They're going to lose a lot of revenue. brother so. predicts mm -hmm. that his generation is going to be made up of primarily cannabis smokers and that people are not really going to drink and they're not really going to smoke uh, cigarettes. I know people and that I, have already made the change yeah. in Washington State. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, they, and they used to smoke and drink, right? But since it's become legalized, the stigma's been lifted a little bit and it's more socially acceptable now than it ever has been before. They have... They pretty much don't drink alcohol anymore and just, you know, consume cannabis. Yeah, yeah, my boyfriend. And they used to drink regularly. Yeah, so. yeah, he, th he thinks he would become an alcoholic if he kept up drinking. So yeah, he so to, only smokes cannabis. So to please their stockholders, they have to get into the industry. Yeah. Too much money involved for them not to. Wow. What a great time we had today. Yeah, totally. yeah I appreciate your yeah, time. Yeah. Will you uh, answer one more question for us, Ryan, and tell us your favorite personal cannabis story? My, oh, my, my personal favorite cannabis story? Mm -hmm. Is this something you guys are doing now? Yeah, so, it's something okay. that we do in every interview. It doesn't have to be your most absolute favorite, but something that makes you feel good or something that you like to laugh about. Yeah, I guess I can. T this is kind of funny. So I'll talk about my first personal cannabis story. 
I might as well talk about the first time I tried to grow marijuana. <laughs> and so I was about 14 or 15 years of age. Right. And when you're that age, you don't have the best connects. <laughs> and so like 14 or 15 years of age, I got a bag wow. of some crappy weed that has a significant amount of seeds and stems in it, right? Well, I have this great idea, right? I'm going to take these seeds and I'm going to grow cannabis. Mm-hmm. And, that was uh, our all, all of our hope at that yeah. time when we got that journey. So what did I do? So I had to find a good place to grow it. I had the internet, but I didn't do the research. I probably should have. Now I'm very well read. Like I've read every single one of these books in this in this room right here from cover yeah. to cover. So I, I'm, I'm constantly so educating myself and learning. But at that time I was not, I knew everything, I knew what I was doing. But I did know that I needed to, needed some kind of grow lights or something along that level because I was going to do it in my closet. So I got just a pot from my mom's garden or whatever. I put some dirt in that pot, planted a seed in that pot, took probably just a lamp, a halogen lamp, lamp light or whatever it is, set it up in my closet and planted my seed in that closet and waited for it to grow for a very long time. <laughs> um, and it never ended up growing. And I'm sure my, yeah, my mom ended up like finding a pot with a light in my closet. <laughs> and I got grounded for not even having any weed. Uh, how much I've learned and how much we've grown since then, I guess, is where I'll go with that story. Wow. So it's kind of like silly and just... Uh, That's, that's my exact same first growth story. Exactly <laughs> the same. A pot, a closet, and just a general light. I knew it had to be a warm one, and that was as far as it went. And I got one of those little clipper... Uh, it was the, the housing that you put the outdoor light in. It had a clip on it. So I yeah, could exactly. clip it onto the 2 by 4 out in the closet yeah and then nothing grew but just That's thinking like yeah. yeah I think I had like actually like, like a teddy bear lamp that I had it was like like yeah <laughs> I so, like, if I remember correctly I actually had like a wind up on it and it like sang tunes and everything it was just, like a little kid's lamp or whatever but just uh, like how little I knew then you know and just to learn like you know how much goes into the, the science of producing marijuana so um, if you're ever looking for a publication, this one right here, Ed Rosenthal, any of his books are really, really good. He's my favorite marijuana author. He's a true scientist, yes. I, uh, I endorse this book here. They actually uh, use this as a Excellent. textbook at Oaksterdam University in uh, Oakland. I don't even know if that's still a thing down there. The I believe it is. So, but uh, yeah, he's really knowledgeable. But just, yeah, just um, our level of knowledge and everything, and it's a science, and we're we're constantly affecting our craft. And so we're always learning new things. We're always experimenting with new methods. Had we read this book at the time when we opened this facility, we would have gone with LEDs. Yeah, we would have saved a lot of money thus far. Like Chris said, it's estimated at around $40,000 a year that you know we're gonna save. And that's money that we can use for a lot of other things. And so, is this uh, But you also yeah, can't shoot a... yourself in the foot about anything you've done to get to here either. You well, know what I mean? Because there probably three years ago wouldn't have been the same level of lights, the affordability for the lights. You never know what you're changed, offset. Yep. And we made some you mistakes, know? definitely. And uh, But it's only a mistake if you don't learn from it. Exactly. And you have to go through that effort. And uh, I think Thomas Edison, they asked Thomas Edison how many times he failed to make the light bulb before he finally got it right. And he said that he never failed. He just found a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Exactly. That's right. I love that saying. Yeah. That's right. A great one. And we have found a thousand ways not to grow marijuana. <laughs> so, yeah, or ways to do th- certain things. And so, um, yeah, we're constantly learning. We're constantly perfecting our craft. Uh, we're building this brand. Um, I think we're in a really good place right now with where the industry is. And uh, and why the logo? You've got a bit of a kite. You've also got the flower that's in yeah, there. Yeah, so really my nice. folks, you know, they're old school. They came up with this high as a kite. So that's kind of like our theme here. So yeah, the kite logo. Yeah, so but I will get you. I will get you shirts. Believe okay. that. So we just ordered some. Let me see if I have any. Uh, what sizes would they be? Small. Small and small. I have one. Yeah. You have one. But... Right? So yeah, let me see, Dina. Not... Awesome. Well, thanks for being here. <laughs> but, uh, but I will get you a shirt. Don't worry. Yeah, I'll shoot it to Nikki. 
for cool. sure. So awesome. Well, nice. thank you. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Oh so. my gosh, yeah. thank no, you so thank much. You. We know great. you're always out yeah, there busy doing stuff. That was stuff. so amazing. Great yeah. day. I know. Gosh, this was CBD Magcast and Cannabis Concierge are a division of Confidential Monkey Enterprises. Visit us at www.cannabisbeyonddope.com.